0: You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Take your Bibles this evening, if you would, look at 1 Kings chapter 3, and I'm just going to read verses 1 through 5 again this evening. I'll review quickly from this morning, and then what I'd like to do tonight is just move from my first point to my second point, and I'll save the third point for two weeks, three weeks from now. All right, just keep you coming back. That's what we'll do, all right? It's called the cliffhanger. That's how we do it here. But next week, I won't be here. The following week is communion, and the week after that, I think we'll finish. We won't finish, but we'll be in chapter three again, all right? So let's look together now at first Kings chapter three, starting then at verse number one. And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her unto the city of David, until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Only the people sacrificed in high places, because there was no house built unto the name of the Lord, unto those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place, a thousand burnt offerings that Solomon offer upon that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. Um, we talked this morning about the example of David. We noted this morning that it was interesting that instead of the writer telling us that Solomon walked in the statutes of the Lord, he walked in the statutes of David. Right, And the idea was that David's love, David's enthusiasm, David's heart for God is what Solomon saw and what Solomon followed. David was not perfect. We know that. We understand that. But he did love the Lord, and that love transferred to Solomon. We said also this morning that there's no different in the Christian walk. God has given us a blueprint. The blueprint is Jesus Christ looking unto him. But in his grace, he also gives us believers. And we talked this morning about the Apostle Paul saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Not in arrogance, but just the fact that he was saying, he has given us a blueprint in other believers. And it wasn't just Paul. There were other believers. But as they followed Christ, others followed them. And we said this morning, this is the glory of the church. It is. I want you to know something. This is a good place. This is a good place. And we've been privileged to have people among us who have walked this Christian life, right? They've been faithful. They've been consistent. They've been loving and kind. They've stuck to their covenant. They've gone through difficulties and sorrow and suffering. And we have that. And we should glory in that. And again, from this morning, you know, the vine attaches to the oak. And there is a sense that we all struggle through things. And what we do is we lean to others who have gone before us and who are going before us We gain strength from them. and not to take anything away from our need of Christ. I hope you understand what I'm saying this this evening. But it's a blessing of the church to look around and say, hey, there's a brother, there's a sister who's been faithful. And they've done this, and it encourages us. And so Solomon walked in the ways of David, his father, and that was, in essence, walking in the ways of the Lord. And the million-dollar question for us this morning was, if someone was walking in your statutes, your ways, your manner of life, would it be the equivalent of walking the same with the statutes of the Lord? Because we are an example. Someone is looking to you. Someone is watching you. And the fact is, in this church, we need believers who can say, not in arrogance, but follow me as I follow Christ. And again, the question, the second question we asked was simply this. If the entire church had your devotion, your zeal, your prayerfulness, your faithfulness, your commitment, What would the church of Jesus Christ look like? Would it be spiritually strong? Would it be solid? Would it be weak and inconsistent? Would it be unkind and unloving? And these are questions we ought to ask ourselves as far as the idea of being example. We said this morning, if we understand the magnitude of the idea of example, leadership, that it should not make us sick. We, we don't need to despair. We don't need to resign. God doesn't want our resignation this evening. He wants our consecration. He wants us to get up and be the examples he called us to be. And so we need to be aware of that. Dan said something interesting in Sunday school. He said Hosea's life was an analogy of his message. Right? The book of Hosea is where we're at in Sunday school now, A great beginning. And shouldn't that be our life, though? Our life should be an analogy of the message that we believe. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, And we follow examples. We were in Bridgeport yesterday. And the couple that mentored, Kim and I, I was 22 years old and went to Bridgeport, Michigan to be a youth pastor of a church of about 1,500 people. I had no idea what I was doing. None. I felt that way when I was 32 and came here, the pastor. I had no idea what I was doing. And we, we understood it. We realized it. Kim and I were there. A.J. was six months old or less than a year, I think, when we, we got there. And, and we understood that we didn't know. And so the Swains were there, and they'd been in ministry for, I don't know, 30 years by that time, I'm sure. And Bill and Sharon Swain were there, and we as 22-year-olds said, Listen, we have no idea what we're doing. We need help. We know how to raise kids. We don't think about ministry. We don't have teenagers, and we'd watch their lives. We have seen we'd seen their lives, and so we asked them to help us, to mentor us. Is what we asked for. And the fact of the matter is, they did that. They did that. They took us under their wings and they mentored us. I can remember times going in their motorhome for like a three-hour trip to check out a camp, and it was him and his wife and Kim, and and AJ was on the floor of a motorhome, which I don't think was safe, going up I-75, and we were there talking and playing and, and asking questions, and he was telling us about ministry and how to involve our kids in ministry, and this is not your ministry, it's not your ministry, it's your family ministry. It changed our lives. It literally changed our lives. They invested in us, and it made a difference. It made a difference. They showed us how to walk as believers She found out she had a brain tumor three months ago. And during that time, as we watched them through Facebook and social media, she showed us how to die. And that's the church. That's what we look to. That's the example. Now listen to me. And I'm serious about this. One of the things when we went away for the, the sabbatical, which was fantastic, loved it, thank you again, I will never stop thanking you for that. We feel more refreshed today than we ever have, ever have in ministry, from that in in May. And one of the things we realized was that we will not be here forever. Spoiler alert, I'm going to die someday. I'm not going to be here forever. And so this ministry should not be a one and done, Right? I, I long to hear stories when Ian says a church that's lasted for 150 years still going strong. That's the way it ought to be. That's the way this place should be. But if that's going to happen, we need people to mentor. We need folks to say, follow me as I follow Christ. This younger generation, look, watch, listen, learn, receive what you see in me, do. We need that. We need examples in our lives. And we ought to be serious about Titus chapter 2, right? Older men, older women, teach, instruct, look. And, And by the way, I think in our church, maybe the biggest group that needs to understand this is my age group we got a good group of older folks who have been faithful to the Lord. They're doing great. we got young couples who are raising their families trying to do the right thing. And it seems this age, our age, is sort of just like going through this. We need to make sure that we are an example for people to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And again, I'm not speaking of perfection. You know that this evening. It's not necessarily, you know, just because you're older you do this. There are some people who are older in their faith and they're babies. But that should not be the case for people who have been saved, grew up in church, and are in their 30s and 40s and 50s now. You should be able to tell people, follow me as I follow Christ. And it's not arrogance. It's not, I don't want to tell you what to do. Some folks, they think they're leaders and no one's following them. But that's not a leader. That attitude isn't even Christ-like. Do you know what it means to, to, to lead in Christianity? It means to serve. It means there's nothing below you. It, it, I, I don't do that. Or I do, No, you're a slave, and you serve. It's sacrificial serving. And we need to have a, a, a generation of people who say, follow me as I follow Christ. And so, dear church, listen to me. We must be an example to the believers, all of us. Our young people, our middle aged people, our older folks, be an example. And so ask yourself a question what does it look like? What example are you being? Because someone's following you. Does that make sense? Examine ourselves. Are we being the examples that God has called us to be? And could it be said of us that the Lord would say to someone, follow them as they follow Christ? That ought to be our heartbeat. So that's the example of David. Number two this evening, let's talk about a divided heart. A divided heart. We know that Solomon loved the Lord. It's true. But we also know from chapter 1, verse 1, that Solomon did love other things. Right? His desire for peace and prosperity and position for Israel may have been a good thing in his mind, but we know from chapter 3, verse 1, this is the beginning of the end. Because here he is taking a woman who is not in covenant relationship, an Egyptian, and we find out later in his life that he loves many women. Solomon had an issue with this. And not only that, in this need to have a treaty with, of all places, Egypt, You know about Egypt. Egypt is the very nation that one of my brothers would tell me several weeks ago. That God said, I'm going to deliver my people and I will humble this nation. I will show my power to this nation. And he did. God humbled Egypt. God destroyed their gods. God showed himself strong. And yet, this is the nation that Solomon says, listen, make a treaty with us so we can have peace and prosperity and contentment. Solomon loved the Lord, but Solomon did love other things. See, man, it's terrible, Solomon, isn't it? Isn't that us this evening? You're here on a Sunday night, and I would venture to say that everyone who's here as I look around would say, I love the Lord. If you're honest with your heart tonight, you and I know we love the Lord and we love other things. We do. It's not just Solomon. It's us. Luther said, at the same time, we are both righteous and sinners. Both sin and grace continue to be our experience. And the best we can say this evening for all of us is that we are saved sinners who are safe in Christ. And and listen, there is a battle that rages in our hearts and lives for our affection, for our love, for our worship. It happens all the time. Listen to what Baxter says. He says, It's not sorrow, but delight that draws away the soul from God. And how many of us could say this? And we sing this with conviction. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for like courts above. Why? Because we know that our heart is constantly being drawn away from the one that we love. Baxter goes on to say we have far more cause to be afraid of prosperity than adversity, riches than poverty, honor than obscurity or contempt, praise and applause than slander or reproach. And it's not that those things can't draw us away from God because they do. But think about it prosperity, happiness, blessing, applaud, it fills our heart and mind and draws us away from our God and Savior. It's a dangerous thing it's a dangerous thing. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse number 9. Peter writes and here's what he says to us. He says, "But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light." That's for every one of us this evening. We've been called out of darkness, the purpose to show forth his praises. For his praises. Verse 10, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war after your soul. And Peter reminds us that there's desires and loves that place that have power to lead us away or to destroy us. And oftentimes we like Solomon, whether it's Sex, power, position, comfort, rest. We look for something else other than God to satisfy us. We reach out to a person, a credit card, the internet, and our hearts are divided. We love the Lord, but we love other things, and they capture our affection. They capture our affection. And there's a problem with that. A real problem. This is what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. He says, well, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. God says, here's the problem with Israel right now. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And that idea in that picture is spring, pure, clean, running water. That gives health, it gives life, it gives refreshment. God says, this is who I am, and my people have walked away for that. That's the first evil. Here's the second evil. He goes on to say this. They have hewn them out, their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. So what we do is we say, Lord, we love you, but there are these other things that attract me, that grab my attention. And so I go to them, and God says, that's not living water. That's from a broken cistern. It's muck, it's mire, it's dirty, it's filthy. And here's the truth. Listen, we go to places for this this idea of rest or encouragement or validation, and at first it's good. It does work, or no one would leave God's side. But it doesn't last. The truth is, we get testimonies tonight. Everyone could testify to the fact that it doesn't work. It doesn't last. It might be good in the beginning, but in the end, it is muck. It is mire. It is filth. It is not living water. We're never truly satisfied. Our passion must increase for our Savior, for our Savior. And that's again part of the church, right? And envy. For others who love God. In every believer, no matter where you find yourself, there is within us this envy as we see other believers who truly love God. We are drawn to them. We're drawn to them. Sibs goes on to say, if you've not read the Bruce Reed, you ought to read it. And he was one of the Puritans who was sweet. Puritans weren't usually sweet. They were really hardcore, right? But Spurgeon said of Sibs, he could cast diamonds and pearls with both hands, or jewels, I don't know what that means, but it meant he was sweet. I don't know what that means, but I would think it would be hurtful, diamonds, but whatever. But he was sweet. He goes on to say that he pictured himself as the friend of the bridegroom. He said, pastors ought to be the friend of the bridegroom that says, this is the groom. Listen, bride, love the groom. Let me show you the groom. Let me show you his beauty and his power and his majesty. And the idea was to bring them to a place of loving the Savior, And that is true for elders and pastors, but it should be true for all of us. We must increase in our love and our beauty and our adoration for our Savior because when we see him for who he truly is, everything else that draws our attention pales in comparison. Everything. There is no real way to have victory over the sin and the struggle in our life until we love Jesus more. It won't work. We forget this. We forget that the Lamb of God is worthy. Let me read for you the portion of scripture you found in your bulletin this morning. Some that was incomplete. But Revelation chapter 5, look at verse number 9. And this is, these are the great two chapters, 4 and 5, of the throne room of heaven. This is the future. Verse 9, and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God By thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld that I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. This is our Christ. This is our Savior. And this evening, I want you to know something. We have divided hearts, but he is worthy. And one of our problems that we face in our nation and in our time is prosperity. Pastor Dan, again, talked about this morning. One of the kings, I think it was Jeroboam II, or maybe the first, where they had a victory, and they were all bragging about their power and their horns and, and what they had done, and he says, you're foolish. And we have been lulled to sleep on the glory and the beauty of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, because everything that dazzles around us, and we've lost the reality of our King, our God and Savior, whose blood was shed to wash us from our sin, and someday we will be with that crowd praising our lamb and our savior forever. Now listen to me, we forget this and we cannot forget it. Years ago, there were two Moravian young men, true story, who heard of an island in the West Indies owned by a a wealthy British atheist who hated Christianity. On that island were 3,000 slaves, 3,000. And this British atheist made the claim that he hated Christianity and no pastor or missionary would ever be allowed upon that island. Never. And if they were shipwrecked and washed ashore, he would hold them in a room until another ship came. He would never give them an opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how much he hated Christianity. So, in essence, he doomed 3,000 slaves to hell. These two Moravian missionaries heard of this. And they sold themselves into slavery. Now listen, they were young men. They were in their 20s. And yet they gave their lives. And with the selling of themselves into slavery, they bought their own tickets to this island. And as they sat in the harbor of Hamburg, as the families gathered and watched, those boys go, knowing they were not coming home, one of the young men said with a loud voice as a ship left the harbor, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. That became the call of the Moravian mission. Let the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. We read the verse tonight in Isaiah 53. 53. He shall see his travail and be pleased with the reward. Who's the reward? You're the reward. I'm the reward. The redeemed are the reward. He died for us. Is that not enough to love him? Then our hearts are divided. And so I say to you this evening, worthy is the lamb. He's worthy of our love. He's worthy of our lives. And he deserves all the glory. And when we think of his great love that he has shown to us and how little we deserve it, it will begin to melt our hearts to love him more. And I have to tell you, this is all wrapped up together. That idea of looking at other believers and having a desire, I have to tell you, there are times in my life when I go through these dry periods where I know, I know I'm going through the motion. I feel it, I sense it, I wander, I drift, and what I need to do is several things. I will either read a book that I know the author always challenges my heart to love Christ more. I'll pick up Tozer. I will always pick up Tozer. Or I will make a phone call. And I'll call a man that I know loves Christ and say, here's what I'm at. Tell me what God's doing in your life. It stirs me. It reminds me what Jesus Christ has done. And that's the church, Right? And so listen, this evening, we need to be reminded of David's example. He walked before Solomon. He loved the Lord. We ought to walk before others loving the Lord and giving them a sense of what it means to be a follower of Christ. We've got to guard against this divided heart because we, we've been there. We do it. We must think of the land of his love, how much we don't deserve it, and glory and heaven. So with that said tonight, Give our nursery workers a blessing. We'll pray. We'll end the service. Let's pray.